Okay, um, you're recording the call. Now I will start recording the call. All right, perfect. All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to DTR Comics Podcast, the podcast where every week we talk about a different collection of sequential art. I'm Dallas. And I'm T. And this week we're here to talk all about Jeff Smith's Bone. So, bone, bone, bone. Guess what? What? I've read this before. You have? Yeah, when I was a kid, I like got it at my local library, took it home, and read it. And like, I thought that I had read some issue of it, but I had read the first volume actually. Oh, see, I had always seen them floating around as a kid. But what's so funny, for whatever reason, as a kid, I like, I really looked down on graphic novels. I was like, not real literature. I only read classics and real literature. But, like, I also loved all things nerdy, and I loved, like, visual dictionaries, and I loved Calvin and Hobbes. I, like, loved comic strips, yeah, but Calvin I was always, Hobbes like... was the greatest. <laughs> I was always, like, those bone books, those are for nincompoops. <laughs> I just, like, made it up in my mind. And so it was kind of cathartic reading this now, and I'm like, man, I would have loved this as a kid. Yeah. It was so up my alley. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Did you, so you didn't realize that before we hopped into it, that this was the one that you'd read? Because see, I knew that I had read Bone before, Mm -hmm. but I did not know that it was this one. And I started it, I'm like, yeah, this is looking kind of familiar. But the thing that really did it, the one, the the image itself that really got me is when the snow comes. Do you remember that part where everybody's like, it's late fall, You, you can't get out after fall. And then he's there, and it just like all at once a blink so of snow falls. Like I distinctly remember that image, and I was like, "Yep, this is the one." Then there are a few other <laughs> things where I was like, "Yeah, I read this long time ago." I mean, it was probably like twelve or thirteen years ago, but that's funny. Yeah, I I had never read this before, but I had a lot of fun with it. Like, yeah, it was it came good. Up on a- it was really good. I was kind of like, I read it and I was like, I really liked that. I was like, I hope T and JP liked that. Because like, I don't know. I thought it was so funny. I, I was talking to Addison, my wife, about it. And, you know, Addison is. But I was like, it was kind of reminded me of Shrek. Where like, it was fun. It was like kidsy, you know. It was wholesome. But like, it had some jokes in there that made me really laugh as an adult man, you know. And just like... Yeah. I thought the characters were great. I mean, the book was pitched to me as it was, it came on a list of like the very best things to binge basically. And they were like, it's basically the premise was Jeff Smith wanted to write Mickey, Donald and Goofy go on a Lord of the Rings adventure, but he didn't have the rights <laughs> to Mickey, Donald and Goofy. And so he just wrote bone, which was Mickey, Donald and Goofy going on a Lord of the Rings adventure and I thought it, it captured so well, like, the wholesomeness of those classic Disney cartoons, you know, with yeah. some really fun fantasy elements of that Lord of the Rings questing adventure. That's funny. But, I never heard that. Yeah, that was that's how it got pitched to me. What you the thing that it reminded me of, you said Shrek, it kind of reminded me of Avatar The Last Airbender, where it's like, this yeah. is a kid's book. 
but that's like really well written and has some solid humor in there mm-hmm. that makes it very enjoyable as an adult. And there are some things you're like, kids would miss that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can tell like I also loved at the end of the comicsology volume at least, it had a basically like one of the blurbs was from the creator of The Simpsons. And he was like, Oh, I love Bone. And I was like, that makes sense. That makes sense. The early Simpsons has a very similar sense of humor to Bone. Yeah. Where it's smart, clever, like it's clever humor, you know? It's it's yep. slapsticky and it's funny. Like that snow, I love that panel that you described of the snow falling. It's just funny. It's just like you know? fall in one pic- in one panel, <laughs> winter in the next. Yeah. And like they kept telling him, like you said, they kept being like, hey, winter comes really fast. Here and he's up like, on you. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> he's like, I'm just gonna grab my cousin in the next few few hours and get out. And it's like, nope. Oh, so good, so so funny. Especially with the text there. He's like, I gotta get out of here. This forest is too weird for me. Then giant blanket of snow, and he's like, case in point. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, I'm pretty sure I did not get that as a young teen, but it's funny now. It's real funny. I also love the characters. I thought they were all so fun. Like, yeah. I loved Phone Bone, Phony Bone, and Smiley uh, Smiley Bone. I thought they were all a flipping crack up. And yep. even just like the interactions with the rat monsters or whatever, the bad guys, when yeah. the rat monsters were like, could you wait here for about half an hour until we get this sorted out? Skedaddles <laughs> on out of there. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was phenomenal. They, I mean, it does a really good job of characterization, you know? It like, does, yeah. Each of the characters are super unique and very lovable, like, right off the bat. Oh, yeah, and they have such a strong voice to them as well, you know? my, yeah. As a kid, I would see these floating around the library, you know? And I was, I didn't really get the shtick that there were, like, multiple bones, you know? And so I'd yeah. see, like... The three of them on the cover was like, how on earth could you tell those guys apart, you know? But, like, even if they looked the exact same, they are so unique in personality. Like, you would know exactly which one is which. Even just based off their, like, body language and how they how they interact with the stuff around them. Yeah. As soon as Phony Bone opens his mouth, you're like, ah, Phony Bone, not yep. Phone Bone. <laughs> yep. Oh, he's so good. I'm looking at this also, first. just the fact that his name is Phony Bone is... <laughs> It's so good. It's funny. It's so good. Um, I think the cartooning in this book is next level. Like you look at, I'm looking at page six and seven in on the comicsology page, where uh-huh. you can see like F- Smiley Bone in that top left panel leaning in to get his cigar lit, and then right next to him, Phony Bone dying from the horrible injustice of it all and like their body language their their little unibrow their eyebrows that like pop up and do all sorts of crazy stuff they're so expressive everything's exaggerated like without even the words i feel like i understand their personalities and what's going on on the page yeah and that's really something that i don't know that i've seen this like well executed does that make sense like, I've seen a lot of yeah. great art. I've seen a lot of great character acting. But there's just 
the words are almost just like a fun additive to the story that's being told with the cartooning here. And like all those great character moments are coming from the cartooning, all of the personalities coming from the cartooning. It's it's so good. Yeah, and it's really fun to kind of have these characters that are so simplistic because then you can do extreme things with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the expressions have to be huge, you know, to convey anything. Yeah. So what did you think of the story of this first volume of Bone? I thought it was really good. Like, that's that the thing that surprised me, you know, because sometimes you're like, this is a kid's story, but they put some adult quips in there, and that'll be enough to keep me going, you know? Mm-hmm. Where that, like Looney Tunes back in the day, where it's like, the story of Looney Tunes is average, but they got some funny, like, adult jokes. Like, I can still remember Foghorn Leghorn saying, the kid's about as sharp as a bowling ball. that's a very adult joke and so it's like you know sometimes with kids things you're like i'm just buckled up for that but the story is actually like really pretty interesting and engaging and they've got a lot of really solid mystery in there yeah well i was interested in i mean even i guess spoiler warning for anybody that hasn't read bone but i thought that the character of the dragon was so interesting and i genuinely wondered i'm like is this dragon in phone bone's head or is it like a real character, you know? Because like, I hadn't seen it interact with other people. And there were multiple aspects of the story that like really had me hooked and really had me engaged with what was going on. And I think it's a good observation you made about kids' movies that have like adult humor, but bad stories. Me and I, I recently rewatched the Shrek movies, and it was there was such a sharp difference between Shrek 2 and Shrek 3. Where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm ashamed to say I recently watched Shrek three. Everyone, so shame me for that. <laughs> but <laughs> me and my wife were talking about that yesterday. <laughs> or it was the day before, so don't worry about it. But like, we watched Shrek two, and I was like, that was so good. I was like, not only was the story great, but like, all of it. The animation was good. The jokes were good. The characters were good. It's like that was such a good movie, and I was like, all right, yeah, Shrek three. And then I watched it. And I was like, man, this got five good jokes, and then unbearable story i was like they just gave up on this they gave up on making shrek good and they were like ah, all right people are coming to shrek 3 because it's shrek 3 baby and i was just like like again bone reminds me of that shrek 2 formula or i don't know what what other good animation off the top of my head a lot of the pixar movies where you watch it as an adult and it's got good enough story beats and good enough characters that you're engaged in what's going on regardless of the kind of hokey kids themes in it you know yeah and i feel like that's really a testament to like the craft because i feel like sometimes it's kind of easy to have really intense themes by talking about like really adult things but when you had to make really intense themes packaged in like children's media that's tough and when somebody does it right it's really cool. And we remember those stories, you know, that's why I remember all the old Disney movies is because it's like, yeah, this is a kid's movie, but Lion King, you watch that and you're like, this is stinking good. Mm -hmm. It's true. I, and I think again, I mean, we've said this a million times, but I think with Lion King, it gets carried by the characters, right. And the humor and the story, it doesn't rely on the cute animation. And I think that was something I was kind of worried. These characters, you know, 
It's like I look at Bone and I'm like, oh, look at the little guy. And I was somewhat worried that it would just be a piece of kids media. And I mean, I somewhat selfishly picked this one because I was like, I think this would be something my littlest sister would really love. And I was like, I want to read it first to make sure that, like, it's good. And then I'm going to get it for her. And now I genuinely ordered the big compendium of it, the, like, thousand page oh, something. You? And I was like, I'm like, I'm going to read it first and then I'm going to pass it on. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a, that's a good book. Like, I'm even, the characters are so funny. Like, in page 24, when they first get to the valley and he meets that little aphid leaf bug. That like is talking to him, and then he's like, "My big brother's gonna be here," and he's like, "What is he gonna do?" And then this massive aphid shows up to like strong arm him. And I love on page twenty four, it turns to walk away, and you see <laughs> the paper thin like... bug wandering down the forest. Yeah, and that just... was that was one of my favorite parts. I showed that to my wife as well. I was like, "This is funny when this big bug shows up." <laughs> And yeah, the rat monsters that they call them and their whole conversation. I also, I felt like the pacing of this book was so perfect. Like they stayed long enough for the jokes to be funny and for the scenes to get set up. And then they were immediately on to the next thing, you know, but it also, it yeah. didn't seem rushed. Like it felt like they were, they stayed in the scenes to the perfect amount. And that was something I was watching the princess bride the other day and I never realized how, fast that movie was like there are like five things that happen in the princess bride basically like they're big 25 minute long scenes you know but the yeah. events are okay oh we've got a tiny bit of setup oh man um we've got indigo montoya fezzik and the little sicilian guy i forget his name they've kidnapped buttercup okay this is where we're going to be for the next 25 minutes oh man now we're in the fire swamp oh man now we're getting tortured okay oh He's got resurrected, and now we're going to storm the castle. Oh, movie's yeah. over. You know? And I always thought there was so much more to it than that, but it's such effective storytelling that it doesn't need anything else, you know? All yeah. the fluff. All the fluff is cut. And I think that Bone works much in that same way, where I didn't ever feel like I overstayed my welcome in any of these panels or any of these scenes, but the story continued to progress. We continued to meet interesting people. And it was a joy. Yeah. Know. But then at the same time, I feel like it wasn't rushed. Mm -mm. I noticed this. We we started watching an episode of, of Black Mirror. And mm -hmm. it was interesting because it's like they actually take time just to have like moment to moment things mm -hmm. to tell the story telling it or to tell the story. And I just remember mentioning like so rarely do we see things where they just let it like sit in a moment mm -hmm. and there's not a lot going on. And you see that a lot more in older movies, but like, especially like, I mean, I think of the Marvel movies because they're huge right now. It just feels like it's like one thing after another and you almost get no breathing room. Mm -hmm. But that's one thing that I do like about this book. Like when the rat people first show up to try to eat him, he's like, quick, comrade, start the cooking fire. And the other one's like, no, you called me fat. <laughs> and he's like, well, well, look who joins us for dinner to so start the cooking fire. No. You called me fat. No. What do you mean, no? And it's not the first time you've done it either. And it spends like a whole page on these two people just like bickering about the fact that he called him fat. And I love that it 
it's not so invested in telling the overarching story of they're in this place and there's a lot of mystery and why do people know who they are and mm-hmm. why are the rap people looking for phony bone? It'll just take a page to see these people bicker and it's not in a rush and I really like that. Yeah, I agree. That's something that I've I've really noticed in movies lately. There's a difference between dialogue that's just there to progress the story I think we see that a lot in Marvel movies. I would argue you see it in some of the schlockier Star Wars films where people are only talking to each other so that you, the viewer, can know what they're going to be doing next. There's a difference between that and the original Star Wars movies or here in Bone where there are genuine character moments and you get to know dialogue is there because these are real people inhabiting a real world, right? And you yeah. get to observe what's going on. And it feels, you feel so much more invested. And then there are payoffs later, you know, like you, you feel like you understand that these, the rat creatures aren't just faceless BBEGs that are running in at the end of this book. Like they have personalities, they're funny, and like they're all fleshed out. You understand Phone Bone, Phony Bone, and Smiley Bone so well. You understand Thorn or Grandma Ben. And I also love that her name was Grandma Ben. That was so funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's not Uncle Ben, but she's Grandma Ben. (laughs) They they just feel real. Like, I feel like I got to hang out in the world of Bone for a little while. And I got to watch the story unfold instead of being told what was going to happen next. And it brought a lot different feeling to the book. Yeah. There was a movie, if any of you are up to watching old movies... Um, you know the movie, oh, why am I forgetting its name? Citizen Kane, most famous, mm-hmm. like arguably the most famous movie that came out, changed cinema. Before the director made that movie, because it was his first movie, he watched the movie Stagecoach just 27 mm-hmm. times straight. And I was like, what is this movie that he watched 27 times straight? And so I went back and watched it, and it does such a good job of this, is that you'll see some characters interact and they'll have a conversation and then when they're done talking it'll just sit there and you'll get to look at these people and you can tell like what's going on in their head just by them waiting Hmm. and i feel like we never get that anymore you never get silence with your characters it's kind of sad so if you want to like see a good example of that go watch stagecoach It's it's a fantastic movie one of the very first john wayne movies so really Huh. Yeah. I I've never even heard of that. That sounds good. I'll have to go watch it. Because, I mean, I was watching Silence of the Lambs last night for the first time I've ever watched it. And there was it was so good at showing and not telling. And that's something that me that I've really been appreciating in movies lately has been this idea. Like, I don't want you to info dump. I mean, I feel like that's the big problem I have with Brandon Sanderson novels, and I know that's nerd heresy, but he loses me in the details, you know? I think that page 200 of being explained to about how the magic works and how the rules work of this society, I no longer care to be there anymore, you know? I'm not, I never, I've, the only book I read was Mistborn. I never got invested in what those characters were doing. I ended up not really caring if they succeeded or not in their task because I'd just gotten so lost in the weeds. And so I really appreciate stories like we have here where 
I'm not explained what the old war was that the dragon and the grandma were a part of, you know, but I get it. I've read fantasy before. I understand this concept of like, oh, an ancient evil is reawakening, right? They've all fought this back in the day. I don't need to be told that. I don't need a big montage scene of what was going on. Just show me and then keep going with the story and like, let me fill in the world as we go along. Yeah, especially because that makes you a part of it more. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is not just in the storytelling. This is also in the way that he does the panels. Like, I know that I thought in particular the part where Phonebone jumps on the branch when he's being chased by the rat men and he's like, I'm sure you two stupid rat men aren't going to jump out on this branch. And mm-hmm. most comics that I read, it would show you these two like jumping and then you're like, oh no. And like maybe Phonebone thinking, like looking at him surprised but this one it's just like it shows him saying that then it shows them standing on the branch with him (laughs) and it lets you like fill in so much of what just happened there and i i really love that because it it makes you more a part of it instead Mm -hmm. of like showing you every single thing that happens and i remember thinking that a couple spots i can't remember exactly when where it just kind of moves along and it's like you're gonna have to fill in the gaps you know, what happened between these two moments? And it makes it feel more personal to me. Yeah, I would agree. I think I also love that there's a consistency in the narrative where, like, it seems like there are consequences in this world as well, you know? And not in, like, a, a grim, gritty way, but, like, I'm just looking here at the panels after the dragon breathes fire on phone bone with one of the best lines of the whole thing on page 40 when he's like, that's right, kid. Never play an ace if a two will do. <laughs> After roasting his head. I love that for the next like 40 pages, phone bone is sword. And that's just like part of the character. And it, again, it makes it feel lived in and real. Um, right. Immediately following that, we're introduced to our first major non bone character. And it's the character of Thorn, who is hopping down into the river, and she becomes Phonebone's love interest, basically, right? And yep. one thing, one thing I gotta say about this, I did not expect there to be sexual tension in a children's comic book. <laughs> you know, about a little white blob man. Yeah, I was like, like there's very, some of these panels where she's like. Character? Yeah, where like Thorne's like taking off her pants and like it never shows anything wild, but I'm like, that's that's interesting that that's there. Yeah, you know, I was like, that's kind of peculiar, but we're just gonna keep reading past it. And I, I don't know why I really love the fact that it it has those panels with Bone just like staring at her. Then it's the exact same panel just with a heart above his head to like communicate yes. that he's in love with her. Yep. Oh, it's so good. It's funny, especially with that whole thing of like, show me, don't tell me. But then I, I'm really glad that they told me there that like Phonebone is in love with Thorn. Yeah, I think I do want to point out one thing. I'm looking at that same page right now. Page 46. You see that Thorn has two different faces as well, which and this I mean, I don't know when this came out, but I I know it came out well before digital comics were the norm, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. like, you can tell that those were individually drawn panels, which is something that I've become 
overly obsessed uh, in, ever since we read Invincible. And they oh, pointed yeah. out, they're like, look, you can just copy the panels across. And no one, people hardly ever notice. And ever since then, I have noticed. And yeah. so, it, like, it meant a lot to me that Jeff Smith, he wanted to recreate, like, this still moment. But, like, her face, Thorne's face changed a little bit, you know? You can tell that it's been redrawn. Yeah, it was redrawn a second time. And that just shows, like, a lot of love and care to me, you know? Like, it wasn't rushed at all. And there are these little subtle changes in the character's posture and in their movement that, again, makes it feel real. It makes it feel like you're looking at a person that's sitting still. Because even, like, looking at you on this Skype call, you're there's a difference between you being frozen and you not being frozen, you know? Even though you're just sitting yeah. there doing nothing. And I think that that's a really special thing that there are multiple times in the book that I noticed that the panel's are showing stillness but there are minor detail differences that make it feel more organic which i really appreciate yeah i I really enjoyed the art it's another one of those things is a good example of it's simple but it does everything that it needs to do yeah so it doesn't cut corners i also love i mean We've talked about this multiple times on the podcast, but the difference between like complex and simple. I love how every other character in the book is decently complex. Like Thorn has a very particular look to her. She's a relatively detailed cartoon. The dragon is a pretty detailed cartoon. Grandma bon- Grandma Ben is a pretty detailed cartoon. But then the bone characters are just these lovable white blobs, you know? Yep. With really big noses. With They're like all forehead, nose, and a couple of spots for eyes, and that's it. And they're just the perfect little everyman, you know? Like, you imprint on this thing so easily, and you're like, I love it, and I want it to be successful forever. Yep. It's really, really great. Sometimes you don't love Phony Bone, but that's kind of his thing. Is He's a little bit of a jerk. But you gotta love that he's a little bit of a jerk. You love that little turd. He's yeah, my he is consistent. I think one of my favorite parts, I can't remember what it was, is when you find out that he actually... Because for those of you who haven't read it, Phony Bone got run out of town for building an orphanage on a nuclear waste site. Because it's <laughs> like the tax benefits were fantastic. And so everybody runs him out of town. But... And so he's like, I'm penniless, I'm poor again. But then you find out he has a stack of $2,000 in his pocket. He's like, it just <laughs> makes me feel comfortable. I have to pull it out every once in a while to look at it. And you're like, you're a turd, but you've got a really good, consistent character. Oh, so I love when they talk about the picnic that he hosted that got him in trouble. When he was like, they're like, yeah. And then he tied the balloon up to the statue and the, the balloon started to float the statue away. They're like, and that's when he ran him out of town? No. That's when the bad prunes kicked in. And it was like a callback to the fact that he got these cheap, like, discount prunes to make tarts for his event at. And I literally laughed out loud. My wife was like, what is, what? What's so funny? And I was like, I, it's a lot, but but bad prunes. Yeah. Yep, so yep. Such a good sense of humor. I love uh, reiterating your little heart above the head moment. I love on page 50 when Thorne reaches out to help Phone out of, or I'll just call him Bone, help Bone out of the river. And it's like little lines coming off their hands and it goes, zing! Because like, you know that zing feeling. You know, the first time you hold 
that big crush's hand you get zing all the way through yeah and then it's just yeah. hearts all over the page and like hearts being left behind in the snow behind him as he's walking holding yeah. hands with like the horns like getting in the snow it's so good yeah oh. it's way fun see then okay shift to topics here right. i was really surprised at how engaging the mystery was which mystery do you mean just like the whole mystery of like, why do the rap people want to find Phony? And why does that guy want Phony's soul? But then why is the dragon helping Bone? And dragon has a history with the rap people. Oh, yeah. Like, I want to read the next volume of this book, you know? Yeah. I want to keep going. I, I also think on a much smaller scale, like, I was genuinely intrigued where the other Bones were, you know? Like, I... I yeah. had no clue where they were. I was curious where when they'd show up. I was curious if they'd show up, you know? Like, it yeah. didn't... It didn't like, feel like that classic kids movie where you're like, eh, they'll be back in, like, five minutes. I don't really have to worry. There are no stakes. Yeah. You know? And I don't quite know how it does that, because it's obviously cartoony. Like, they fall off a cliff, and, like, everybody's fine, but you still mm-hmm. feel like something bad is going to happen. Yeah, I don't know where the tension in this book comes from, but it exists, for sure. Yeah, yeah do you... Like, have I you know, read you can this? Oh, no, no, you go. You go. I just read the first volume. What do you think? What are your theories about where this goes? I guess if there are people who have read all of Bone, they're going to think we're idiots. But what do you think's going on? I really have no idea. And that's one of the things that is interesting to me is because it's created enough of a backstory that you know it's not just going to like bs twist the end in there because you know how you've watched a mystery and then the end they like add a bunch of things to like cover it up and you're like you didn't pay off anything that was lame Mm -hmm. it's like i can tell that they've built enough of a history that it's going to answer it unless he drops the ball i mean i don't think he's gonna drop the ball this is a beloved series for yeah many people you know and and so it's like, I know that there has to be some connection, but I have no idea what it can be. And I, I think that's why it's intriguing to me is because I'm like, this is something that I can think about and figure out actually and doesn't make sense to me currently. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's really, I think the world itself is so fascinating. You know, just speaking to that mysteries of, oh, I want to know who the person under the hood is, like who the leader of the rats is. There was a moment where I thought it might be Smiley Bone because it was like all tall and it was like, you must find phony bone. And I was like, wouldn't that be funny if it was like Smiley Bone had like finagled his way in, but then that didn't end up being the case. But like, I'm genuinely curious. It feels like I need to keep reading. And it does have that sort of epic fantasy storytelling to it. You know, that that initial pitch, Mickey Mouse, Mickey, Donald and Goofy go on a Lord of the Rings adventure it feels like Lord of the Rings. I'm like, oh, this is a big world I want to know more about. And like, yeah, there are events that are being set in motion here that will have payoffs that are fascinating to me. Because even in Lord of the Rings, outside of the Fellowship, there are interesting gears that are rolling around, you know? Yeah. So it feels like a very living world, not just like static. Here are your main characters and the world only exists as they exist in it. And this is the only window we're giving you. Yeah, like I'm I feel fully aware that there are gears turning behind the behind every scene, you know. It's yeah, it's so good. I love when Thorn and Bone are doing chores together 
And she says, if you finish up the dishes, I'll go split some firewood. And he says, now wait a minute, Thorn. What? Where I come from, what you just said is backwards. Chopping firewood is a manly thing. He's too little to use the axe. And she's like, yeah. what manly kind of thing do you call that? Chin-ups. Go do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. I was like, oh, really that's, a, that's a funny joke. Especially like, once you... Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, because like it has that slapstick element, you know, of like, oh, he's too little to use the axe. That's so funny. But it's also such a funny commentary on like toxic masculinity from this little white blob trying to show off for his love interest, you know? Yeah. Especially once you meet Grandma Ben and then she's just like <laughs> so hardcore racing yeah. cows. I also I loved uh, maybe I was just dumb. Maybe I'm just stupid, but like the payoff for that was so funny to me when I found out like she races the cows. Like she doesn't have cows that race. I was like, what? Yeah, it's it's not like people who, it's not the cows that are racing. It's she's running the foot race with the cows, and she wins. Like, at first I was like, oh, that's funny. They do like cow races, not horse races here. And then I was like, wait, this lady races cows. (laughs) They have like stampeding cows, and this grandma's like, yep, I'm gonna beat them. That was so funny to me. I really love Grandma Ben. Yeah, she's great. Um, do you feel like she has a parallel in fantasy that you can think of? I don't know. She, I mean, it's funny that this is going to be the second time I've, I've brought Avatar The Last Airbender up, but she seems a little bit like Iroh, like the one who kind of actually knows what's going on and is actually way more powerful than you think at first. And she reminds me of prison Iroh. When he gets all jacked. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. When when the rat men like attack and she's like, what if I just fight them all off with my bare hands? Because I was in the war. And you're just like, <laughs> I love this exposition and everything that's happening. Oh, man. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. I also, I'm just scrolling through the book as we're talking. I love when you finally get, I mean, it's page 60 when you get to see Phony Bone again. And you get to see him go through the forest, and it's so much darker and grosser and more horrible than like the kind of like nice little pixie forest that Phone walked through earlier in the story. And it's just so funny to me that like when the POV switches and Phony Bone is in charge, the world looks so much more bleak and miserable and dirty, and like everything is bad. And it's yeah. so funny to me. It's so yep. funny to see him interact with all the same characters and just like storm his way through the world. And I love, I, don't, I loved how they were reunited, if that makes sense. Like, I love how all the characters were reunited where it didn't just feel like, okay, yeah, the story needs them to be back together to keep going, you know? Like they genuinely reunited in organic, funny ways and they felt true to character and they felt like that they were actually, sense. yeah, like it felt like, Again, lived in and organic, not just there to serve the storyline, you know? Yeah. And I also like that because sometimes stories, they're like, ah, here's the MacGuffin, the thing that you need. He has to find his cousins. And now we're going to be able to tell our whole story while he's not finding his cousins so that you're still invested in this. But this is like, no, he finds his cousins in the end of the volume. 
and they're new problems yeah. now. But he found his cousins. Yeah, I agree. How do you feel like this? Like, what do you feel like it is about this book that sets up conflict so well? I mean, it's something we've both touched on as we've went. That like the story continues to have stakes. There continues to be good things. But what do you feel like the magic of this story is that might be lacking elsewhere? I'm not sure. It's kind of hard to say because it's something that just like happens so naturally that I didn't think about it. It's not like they have to be like, let's kill a character so that you know that we're for real. I really don't know. It might be just like the opening of it where, where, um, it might be the opening of it where it's like, they're like, we got driven out of town. That was a bad thing that happened. Then it's like, oh, a plague of locusts is going to show up and it's actually going to separate us. Oh, and we're going to get lost in the forest and we got to try and get out. But actually, psych, the snow came. And so now we're going to live in the forest for two months in the winter and the possums are going to be there. But the rat men are attacking and they like destroyed my house. And it's like, oh, I met a girl, but I still haven't found my cousins. And I feel like the fact that it did get progressively better and had a really good set of story beats of like, they want to wait until things calm down, then go home. They didn't get to do that. They wanted to make their way through their through the mountains. They didn't get to do that. They wanted to get out of here before winter, and they didn't get to do that. I feel like that was one of the things that set that up pretty well. I agree. And I love that the the conflicts were kind of telegraphed, like that whole winter is coming setting being set up as the next conflict like okay you've got to get out of this valley or else you're gonna get stuck here for winter it wasn't just like oh they're like ah now they're stuck here for winter you know like i was never surprised by the conflict it was built to and therefore it had weight when it arrived you know like i had been taught that it was going to be a bad thing if they if it they got caught in the snow they'd be here for a long time you know there weren't any little holes for me to weasel out of and get frustrated or taken out from the story. Yeah. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. Yeah. It is well done. It this really is one is. of those things where I'm like, this would be hard to write. It really would. There's so much scope to this. And just being able to balance this high of a craft of fantasy storytelling with the slapstick humor of Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, you know? And then making this palatable for kids. I I honestly have nothing but good things to say. Yeah. Really solid. And they're also just... They're good, cool panels, too. Like, on page... Uh, like, when the rat people come and they storm all the villages, right? Like, there's real tension there. You look at page 93 and, like, they look creepy and scary... And just seeing the fire and seeing the rat people through that little girl's eyes as they're tearing up the town. Like, that's good comic book storytelling right there. Yeah. You know, that's it's not just a little funny kids book with slack slapstick humor. There are good panels that tell good story beats. And I am incredibly impressed with Bone. I want to read the rest of Bone, you know. Yeah, same here. This is really fun. It is. I wonder what JP thought. I'm bummed that he wasn't able to be on the call tonight. I'd love yeah. to hear what he had to say about it. But yep. 
I think, I mean, something that I have been feeling lately. I've been reading a lot of more heavy comics. Like I just finished Preacher. Ended great, everyone, by the way. Over like the last four episodes, everyone's like, I wonder what else is that in Preacher? He's been talking about it in the background. <laughs> I finished it. It was It was really good. But, like, it was pretty heavy, you know? And I was kind of like, oh, man, I need something light and fun and superhero-y. And I feel like Bone has done that in spades. Like, better than anything else I could have wanted. Bone has been like, you want some joy? You want some happiness and just fun? Do you want to read something that's just fun and you don't have to, like, work super hard to get, like, the deeper meaning out of it? It's not heavy. Like, I... I recently, I'm almost done with the graphic novel March about the civil rights movement, and it's beautiful. It's kind of, it's a mm-hmm. lot like Mouse, honestly, where I'm like, wow, this should be essential reading to everybody. But, like, I have to work at it, you know? I have to read it and digest it, and Bone isn't that way. Bone is just fun. And I think both things certainly have a place. I don't think anybody should skip reading March to just hop right under Bone, but there's something to be said about just fun storytelling that like you don't have to work hard to get the amazing media, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I was thinking because uh, I do think about this, like if I had to rate this and this one's going to be harder than the last ones that we've done, because like, I can't say that it made a deep lasting impact on me and I'll think about it for time to come. Like I do with mouse and I do with some of the other things that we've read. But it's like, I still think you should read it. Like, for what it is, it's perfect. Oh, yeah. It is top tier what it wants to be. Which is, it's so special. I I really, yeah, you're right. I don't really know where I'm, I want to rank this. Because I don't know that this will ever come up in my, oh, what are your favorite comics of all time, you know? I don't think Bone will come to my mind, but that's not because it shouldn't. This is some of the highest quality comic book storytelling I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. It's so fun. It's something that I feel like everybody should read, but it's not like Superman up in the sky. It's not like Mr. Miracle. It's not like Grant Morrison's new X-Men where I'm like, oh man, that, that was something, you know? Like that's a favorite comic book of all time kind of comic book. Yeah. And I don't really know why on earth there's that division in my mind, but. And I mean, I feel like that's why, why Shrek and Avatar The Last Airbender are good analogies because it's kind of like, what's your favorite movie of all time? You're not going to be like Shrek. Shrek is the best movie of all time, but you're like, Shrek is exactly what it needs to be. And it's a classic and you should watch it. Oh yeah. Like you're like Shrek is a 10 out of 10 piece of media. And I feel the same way about bone where i'm like bone is exactly what it is and it is exactly the best version of what it is what that is is kind of hard to pin down but i think it's phenomenal it's something i want to share with more people yep we uh, but i mean so that's what i'm saying if this is the end and we're giving ratings that's what i'm going to say i'm not going to put a number on it it is what it is read it it's super fun I agree. Yeah, I'm right there too. I don't know that I want to put a number on it, but I will say I intend to read the rest of Bone, and that's a pretty good sign. When I have a fat stack of comics I'm very excited about, and I choose to continue to push those off to finish this, that means this is very good. 
So, yep. Thank you so much to Jeff Smith for creating this masterpiece and thank you for listening to our podcast about it. I hope that everybody yeah, goes and reads fun. Bone. You can read the first volume on Comicsology, so yeah, it's super good. Um, do you have any closing remarks, T? No, I don't think so. I just had a lot of fun with this. Me too. I'm glad. I'm glad you had fun with it. And yeah, so we will be back next week with more comic sock. Again, I am Dallas. And I'm T. And we have been DTR Comics Podcast. Goodbye. See you next week.